This is episode 5 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's topics include major threats facing the U.S., cold weather survival, specifically surviving in a stranded car, and then lessons learned from prepping and urban survival. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on the PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from AskAPrepper.com, and the title of the article is Three Major Threats Facing the U.S. by the End of 2017. It is a, uh, it is a guest post written by someone named James W., but um, one of the things that I really want to point out here, and one of the reasons why you want to go uh, to the website, is it kind of shows the divide where we are in, in the United States. Uh, even in the preparedness community, I mean, people that are coming to this website are going to be pretty much preppers. And so even in the comments section, there are tons of comments kind of going back and forth um, how people saw this, uh, this article. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then you can kind of you know, come up with what you think about it and even go visit the, uh, the website and read some of the comments. Um, here we go. There was a time when writing about the threats we face as a nation was little more than conjecture. Many long-winded articles often injected fear into the reader based merely on speculation. It was still plenty to get millions of us geared up and prepping. For that, we must be grateful for these early doomsday writers. At this moment, we are facing division and unrest in this nation like we have never seen. You may be aware of the riots and demonstrations across the nation. These riots are turning violent fast. People of opposing views are being subjugated to nothing short of fascism in these isolated incidents. Without a doubt we will see some very terrifying situations begin to unfold in states and counties very close to us. As the clashes between militant left-wing groups and the Law and Order Administration begin to heat up, we will see the power of the government in terrifying displays as well as more violent tactics from the opposition. Here are my predictions for threats facing the U.S. by the end of 2017. First one. Martial law in at least one major city due to unrest. There is no doubt that as our current president works his way through the to-do list that these radical groups will only become emboldened. As law enforcement attempts to tighten its grip on these lawless creatures who seem to relish in the destruction of others' property, these battles will undoubtedly result in the death of one or more rioters. This will only swell the numbers of swell the numbers and embolden the rioters to destroy more property. If this happens in a major metropolitan city, there will be a very very few options for those governing these areas. We will see a call into the National Guard. This will result in a brief stint of martial law. Of course, this will not be reported as martial law, just as the follow-up to the Boston Marathon bombing was not reported as such. Those citizens were forced into their homes, given curfew, and gun confiscation. Okay, a little side note. I do remember that scene of the Boston, uh, the marathon bombing, when the police officers and the cops were pulling out of the neighborhood, and, and people were cheering. And, and I, my thought was, yeah, you're, you're cheering. You've been under martial law. Um, and it, it just, it was very eye-opening there. Um, 
people will give up freedom. I mean, you always hear that. People will give up freedom uh, to feel safe. And so something to think about. Um, let's go on to number two. <clears throat> the emergence of militant left-wing terrorists against Trump and his supporters. This one is kind of a cheat as the emergence of some radical left-wing groups has already begun. My prediction is that as the year goes on and weather heats up, we will see these groups make a transformation from radical left-wing protesters to militant left-wing terrorists by the end of 2017. These three groups come to mind when I think of particulars. Take a moment to familiarize yourself with the following groups. Watch them as the year progresses. First group is Black Bloc. The Black Bloc is a group born of the Iraq War opposition who made quite a splash during the Occupy Wall Street days. Their claim to fame is the destruction of private and public prop property with a pennant for the color black. They also played a part in the riots at Berkeley recently. BLM Whether the Black Lives Matter movement was hijacked by bad leaders or was planning on malicious intent from the beginning is unknown. We have seen them even attack other minority groups for stealing the spotlight. Though the men who assassinated police may not have been members of BLM, they were no doubt influenced by the rising tide of the group's discontent. I have no doubt that we will see a more militant look from BLM as the year goes on. This next group is BAM, B-A-M-N. By any means necessary is a strange organization that I have only found out about recently. They are they are an astounding group that models themselves off the phrase coined by Malcolm X. Their tagline is Trump must go by any means necessary, which, in my opinion, should have them disbanded immediately. These protesters were also part of those at UC Berkeley and will be big players in the low-grade civil war that will carry on in this nation. Number three, or the third threat. We could even see the removal of our seated president and riots over this as well. Much talk is given to the threat of rioting left wing that is unhappy with the president they currently have. That said, if we see the president impeached by anything but the most heinous accusation or worse, if we see him removed by any means necessary, i.e. assassination, we could see a fire from the right wing. The right wing of this nation, the nationalist that is thrilled with the outcome, could have their own uprising. Many like to think of this as a, as a mere necessity. Some think of it as blood for the tree of liberty. I think of it as a worst case scenario. Still, we cannot discount it. People have hatred for the rich man who runs the country, and this chapter in American history could end with a terrifying conclusion. The perfect storm would be the convergence of two rioting halves becoming whole and resulting in a serious fight that would be uncontrollable by police. There are people in our midst who are hoping for just this type of result. The greatest threat facing the U.S. by the end of 2017 will probably be civil unrest. The unrest has the potential to manifest itself in many ways. Get prepared today. Be ready to hunker down in the case of things like martial law or riots in your area. All right, I'm going to go ahead and uh, that's the end of this article. I'm going to go ahead and refresh because I want to see if there's been any more uh, comments. Yeah, there's, there's more comments uh, just since the time that I've pulled it up to be ready to, uh, for the podcast. So, um, yeah, you know, as, as I'm reading this article in, and I'm thinking about the comments that I've already read, I mean, you can kind of see where, where people are thinking, um, but 
man, it we are in a, a, a weird time in American history. And so, I, again, I, I do think um, these threats are very possible. Um, what I tell people are, or what I tell people is, um, I wouldn't be going to big gatherings, um, like festivals. And I, people know that I live in Houston. And, you know, downtown, we have big festivals every once in a while. I just would not be going down there uh, unless I absolutely had to, right? Um, it's just, um, there's, it, things are at a fever pitch in, in, in the United States. So definitely, we need to be keeping our eyes open and be aware, all right? So let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next article. This comes from uh, Lisa Bedford's Survival Mom website, thesurvivalmom.com. The title of this article is Cold Weather Survival, Survive in a Stranded Car. So let's start reading this one. I've experienced that gut jolting feeling more than once, and you have too. You turn the key to your car expecting to hear the roar of the engine and nothing. Or... You're cruising along the highway when you notice that the gas pedal isn't quite working right and it dawns on you you've run out of gas. Or a nail in the tire leaves you stranded miles from home. Even on a pleasant, balmy day, these scenarios are frustrating, but on a cold day with freezing temperatures and dangerous driving conditions, they can become deadly. Dress for the occasion. As time you'll be traveling in a vehicle through winter weather, you should first dress for that type of weather. You can always change when you get to your destination or remove a layer or two, but if you are well and truly stuck in snow and ice conditions, that business suit, party dress, fancy shoes will be the death of you. Atlanta drivers were reminded of this fundamental truth a few years ago when snowstorms hit their city and stranded thousands of commuters, many in warm weather business attire. Your main challenge will be moisture from precipitation and the cold, so plan for both. If you can't dress for the weather, then have these items in a waterproof pack or maybe one of those storage bags that allows you to squeeze all the air out so that bag takes up less room, like these. One pair of wool socks for each person in the family. Sturdy walking shoes or boots, waterproof if possible. If you have hiking boots but rarely wear them, why not keep them in the trunk of your car or underneath the back seat? A tube of shoe glue to seal the exterior of shoes against weather. You should have a tube of this in your emergency kit too. Hand warmers, warm waterproof gloves, rugged work gloves in case you need to change a tire, clear a road, or do some other manual labor in freezing temperatures, foot warmers, Knitted wool cap. These are my favorites for keeping my head warm. Keep, keep, key to keeping the entire body warm. Rain ponchos with hoods. Large contractor trash bags are an okay substitute. And wool long johns. If you are packing these things for multiple members of the family, make the entire pile easy to organize by separating out each person's set of clothes, gear, and keeping them in separate bags. This way, there's no need to dig through a huge bag of clothes to find one pair of socks. Keep your feet, hands, and head warm and dry at the very least. You can find more good cold weather clothing tips here and in my trip report from Iceland. Stuck in the car with nowhere to go. If the weather is so bad that you can't even get out of the car, then you'll still be needing those warm clothes. The temperature inside your car will quickly drop to just a few degrees warmer than outside. The warm socks, caps, clothes, and hand foot warmers will help a great deal. To that, add a small heater that is safe to use inside a vehicle. This is portable, 
this portable small space heater runs on propane and would be a safe choice. Store a couple extra propane containers in your vehicle to ensure you have a supply to last a few days just in case. Since body heat counts for something, even in very cold weather, you will probably need to run this heater for just a few minutes every hour or so. If your car has plenty of gas, you can turn on your car's heater every so often as well. Just make sure that the exterior exhaust pipe isn't clogged with mud or snow. If it is, clear it out completely before turning your car on. Otherwise, carbon monoxide can build up inside the car, causing another deadly problem worse than being stranded. This carbon monoxide detector for the car looks intriguing, although I haven't used it personally. Another heating option is one that uses a couple of cans, a roll of toilet paper, and a bottle or two of alcohol. This DIY emergency heater will require some practice using it. I recommend watching this video to see how the heater is put together, reading the results of actual use in a car, and then reading through the comments on the site to learn from others' experiences. I file this in the emergency use only category, but it definitely wouldn't hurt to have it put together with a bottle or two of alcohol just in case. You probably have some spare blank blankets around the house, so go ahead and roll these up. Store in a space saver bag and add them to your supplies in the trunk. I've kept spare blankets and towels underneath my Tahoe's back seat for many years and they come in handy no matter the weather. If you have sleeping bags that are rarely used, toss them into the trunk of the car. You might as well store them there as in the garage or attic. Caught in cold weather, they could very possibly save your life. Along with resources to stay warm, food, water, and a toilet, of all things, are going to become necessities. This article details how to store water in a vehicle during the winter. It's important to know that eating snow, while technically is water and life-saving, can also work against you by lowering your core temperature. Granola or energy bars, crackers, beef jerky, lollipops all do well when stored in cold temperatures. Sugary and salty snacks, though, will increase your thirst, which leads us to the toilet situ situation. Most likely, you'll need to just hop out of the car, do your business, and then hop back in. A child's training toilet can be stored in the trunk along with some plastic trash bags and toilet paper. Well, that's side note, that's really extreme there, but okay, if it's necessary. All right, continuing on. Finally, think about how you will uh, while away the hours before getting rescued and put together a sanity saving kit. It might contain a charged and loaded MP3 player with earphones, a book you've been meaning to read, paper and pen, coloring books and colored pencils for the kids, hard candies, and so on. Your adventure, quote-unquote, may last just an hour or two, but you could also be stranded for much longer. If so, you'll be needing these supplies. By the way, do stay in or very near your car, unless you are 100% certain that a well-traveled road or occupied home building is within a very short, easy walk, and the weather allows, you will be found much more quickly if you're with your vehicle. Exertion that causes a Exertion that causes a lot of sweating or moisture will only make it more difficult to stay warm and you'll become dehydrated. For a very complete list of what to keep in your car, this printable is ready to download. Getting help. Obviously, getting stuck in your car is a situation that isn't desirable. Even if you're toasty warm, the kids are napping, and you're listening to your favorite Pandora channel, you want to get home. A charged cell phone is a necessity and is an external battery pack. A charged battery pack like this one has saved my bacon on many occasions when my cell phone was nearly dead. 
With your phone, you can utilize Google Maps, emergency scanners, first aid apps, and even this winter survival app. This survival manual app has extensive information at your fingertips. In a winter landscape, bright colors are easy to spot. Imagine a bright red cardinal against white snow and bare gray tree branches. If your vehicle is off the main roads, you may need to figure out how to make it more visible for rescue workers or the casual passerby. A Mylar emergency blanket can be stretched across the top of your car and secured in place with your car doors. Brightly colored clothing can be tied to an antenna. A mirror can be used to flash passing cars or airplanes and honking your horn can attract attention as well as flashing your headlights. If you've told someone where you are going and when to expect you back home, it won't be long before an active search will be called and help will be on its way. All right, so uh, as you could tell, a lot of information in this, um, or a lot of links in this article. So I, again, I live in Houston. We don't have weather uh, like this at all. The, you know, it it uh, it ices over a little bit, and people just don't know how to handle that. And so there's tons of wrecks uh, because people don't know, you know, how to handle uh, driving um, when we have underpasses that are that ice over and stuff like that. So I mean, that's the most that we ever deal with in, during the winter time. But those of you that live up north, um, you know, and you're still getting pounded uh, from, you know, when I'm reading this, I know that the weather's changing up, up north as well, uh, but you're still getting pounded with snow. And so it's very relevant. Um, definitely, if you don't have a kit in your car, you need to think about that. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to this next article. All right, for my Friday podcast, I, I want to do maybe like a best of. I want to go into the archives of Prepper website. Um, so this article was posted a while back. It, it's not that old, um, but it's interesting. And so I want to, read, I want to go ahead and, and read this one for you. It comes from besurvival.com. And uh, it's entitled Survive, Surviving Haiti, What I Learned About Prepping and Urban Survival. And so a lot of good information here. So let me go ahead and start reading this one. I had the high ground and good cover when they both came through a doorway into a small courtyard below me. One had a revolver tucked into his belt and the other had a semi-automatic he was returning to a holster. It was late in the evening when I spotted them coming over the wall under the cover of darkness at our compound. Another man was sitting behind the wheel of a vehicle parked outside the gate. They came up the road without headlights. A few moments before they appeared in my sights, I heard a scuffle and cries of terror coming from our security shack. I woke my boss from a dead sleep and he moved into position to cover me. Standing over my targets, I had two options. Light them up with a flashlight on the end of my gun or light them up with a trigger. Real Life SHTF The Without series deals with fictional post-apocalyptic survival, but what I saw in Haiti was akin to that real life SHTF. We prepare for natural disasters, economic collapse, political unrest, and desperate people looking to take what we have. In Haiti, we dealt with all four every day. Over the past year and a half, I spent most of that time in Port-au-Prince consulting for a rescue helicopter program. In most of the crumbling city, it's as if the devastating earthquake in 2010 happened yesterday. My first trip was for 10 days. It took 10 seconds to realize realize how grossly un underprepared I was for the hostile foreign environment. The Americans who were already in the country relied on private companies to provide security at their living quarters and at their hangar. 
there was no security detail when traveling between the two or during excursions into the city. We were on our own. I lived in an apartment within a walled compound in the mountains above Port-au-Prince. We had one guard at the gate who carried a shotgun that looked like he pulled it out of a river. Rolling blackouts and gunfire were a nightly occurrence. Sleep was hard to come by those first few nights until I became acclimated to the things that went bump in the night. Most of the homes on our mountainside had diesel generators and rainwater collection systems instead of trusting unreliable city utilities. The area was considered one of the most affluent sections of that city. It was also one of the most popular targets for raids by the countless gangs coming from the most dangerous sections of the city. During one of the raids, a gang member was caught by the locals and set on fire in a city square as a deterrent for the others. It didn't work. Gearing up. When I returned home from the first trip, it took me several days to spool down. I spent six years in naval intelligence and traveled to many third world countries. The difference with Haiti was that I didn't have the U.S. Navy watching my back. One might ask why I returned 11 more times to one of the most dangerous countries in our hemisphere. For me, the answer is simple. It's how I keep my edge. Most of the visitors to this site will understand what I mean. Those who don't prepare won't. My philosophy is that if you're preparing for the worst, there's no better way than experiencing the worst. Haiti is that place. At no point can you let your guard down. If you do, Haiti will make you pay. After I did spool down, I started my checklist for the return trip the following month. One of the first items was a set of Haitian Creole language CDs. I'm by no means fluent, but I find myself lost or in need of help. I can engage the locals with confidence. I can also give commands when I find myself in situations where they need to be given. That was a daily occurrence. The next item on the list was a bit trickier. It's illegal for civilians to carry guns unless they have permission from the head of the Haitian National Police. Unfortunately, the only group more corrupt than the politicians was the police. There's a gray area if you're a former or active duty U.S. military and carry an ID card, but it was still illegal to purchase a gun. To add to the problem, there was a recent ban on importing weapons and ammunition. Without giving away secrets on international gun trade and circumventing foreign customs, that box was checked. My chosen gear. Much like in Without, my pack never left my side day or night, and it contained the items you'd expect. Medical kit, flashlights, ammunition, knives, tools, fire starters, tarp, cordage, extra clothing, gloves, food, personal hygiene products, and spare batteries. Unique items in my pack for that area were a $10 prepaid cell phone, Haitian cash, local map, compass, and a life straw. You can literally suck water out of a pothole with that thing if there was no other option, of course. The other items not in my pack that you'd expect were on me at all times except when I slept. Gun, extra magazine, UHF, VHF radio, cell, tactical flashlight, knife, lighter, and multi-tool. They were all secured in the event I needed to go from a stroll to a flat-out sprint without causing a yard cell. Bugging out. My bug-out plan was based on three modes of transportation at my, my disposal. Our helicopters were the first choice to get me over to the relative safety of the D Dominican Republic. A well-maintained and always full, fully fueled 4x4 was my second option if I wasn't at the hangar. 
the border to the DR, or the Dominican Republic, was only 30 miles away, so hoofing it was an option as well. Haiti is an island country, but the waterfront in Port-au-Prince was lined with the most dangerous areas in the city and were controlled by gangs. Even the police avoided those areas unless they were in large force, so using the water to escape would be a last resort. I never considered the U.S. Embassy as an option. I knew where it was and how to get there, but I'd still be in the middle of Port-au-Prince if the SHTF. History has shown us that embassies can be overrun. The same went for the UN peacekeeping compounds within the city. History has also shown that those guys are the first to run and last to shoot. I have no love or confidence with UN troops. As with most bug out plans, putting distance between you and a city is a high priority. Port-au-Prince is no different, but difficult to navigate in a vehicle or even on foot on a normal day. Streets and bridges are narrow, in terrible condition, and easily blocked. Eight-foot walls with razor wire or broken glass embedded all along the top surround most properties, and heavy steel doors block every entrance. There are few places to hide or avoid contact with people for miles in any direction. If I had the time, my plan was to make my way through the city a few hours before sunrise to limit contact as much as possible. I'm 6'3 and Irish. There would be no blending into a crowd. What Haiti taught me. Haiti showed me that being prepared is more than just having the gear or the guns. That's the easy part. Surviving in that environment was more about awareness, mental and physical preparation, and avoidance. Awareness was the single most valuable tool I carry that you can't see or touch. My head was constantly on a swivel, whether driving on streets with no traffic laws or using one of the few ATMs, I was always scanning for trouble. Sometimes by just making eye contact, you can change someone's intent. I truly believe awareness combined with confidence is palpable to others around you. Mental preparation was part of my daily routine. As I brushed my teeth, I would think about the route I would take into work and the alternates I could use if the primary was blocked. I'd check my group messages with our American employees and Haitian counterparts about possible civil unrest or political protest hotspots. While I dressed, I'd think about different scenarios and how I would react to deteriorating conditions, both man-made and natural. Before I got in the truck, I'd walk around to make sure the tires were inflated and no foreign objects were stuck in the treads. When the steel door was open at our compound, Haiti had my undivided attention. The Most Forgotten Prep One aspect of preparedness that doesn't get enough emphasis is physical conditioning. My worst case scenario was having to make my way to the DR or Dominican Republic 30 miles away on foot. Haiti has some of the highest mountains in the Caribbean and I'd have to go over them to get out. It's also one of the hottest countries in the Caribbean. During my last trip in January, the average temperature was 85 degrees. With 35 pounds of gear and traveling at night, it would still take me 3-4 to four days to get to the border. If I were out of shape, the chances of me making the trek were slim to none. That goes for any bug out scenario in any environment. If your entire plan is based on driving out of a bad situation, you're not prepared. Movement is life. If you can't run, jump, climb, and fight fully loaded, start investing more time and resources on conditioning and less on the gear. I can't stress that point enough. Situational awareness is half the battle. Avoiding a bad situation is just as important as knowing how to get out of one. 
During daylight hours and when civil unrest was at a lull, I'd spend a few hours driving around the city. I'd become familiar with the routes I didn't need to take and areas I didn't need to be in. Port-au-Prince is a maze of confusing roads that don't show up on any GPS. They can degrade from a concrete street to a goat path within seconds. Haitian criminals are very familiar with every choke point in the city. One of the favorite tactics is to box you in with multiple vehicles or trap you at a dead end. They used that tactic on one of our local Haitian employees heading to the bank and robbed her at gunpoint. Nobody in Haiti is immune to crime or gets a pass for being Haitian. If you don't know what, where, and who to avoid, a dangerous situation can turn deadly in a heartbeat. Lighting them up. I was prepared for the encounter back in the courtyard that I first told you about. I was at a location that gave me command of the area below in a gunfight. Taking a life is a burden that is carried forever regardless of the circumstance. I chose the flashlight over the trigger. Knowing the language saved their lives and I saved myself more nightmares. In Creole, I yelled down for them to freeze. If their hands went to their guns, I wouldn't have hesitated to kill them. They froze and then followed my commands. I could see the fear on their faces when they were being blinded and disoriented by my light. They were employees of the private security company for our compound. They showed up to teach the sleeping guard a lesson when he missed their radio call. After they scared the life out of him, they were going to walk the perimeter to make sure we were safe. Final thoughts. Haiti is one of the most beautiful and exotic countries I've ever visited. For the most part, the Haitian people are resilient, proud, and welcoming, but not all of them. I've always believed the most dangerous animals on the planet are parents protecting their children. In Port-au-Prince, most live in squalor and struggle to survive and provide for their families every day. The combined dollar amount of the items I carried in my pack was more than what most families make in a year. I'm sure on more than one occasion, a kind and gentle father thought about bashing my head in with a rock to take what I had, not because he was evil, but because he was desperate. Stay aware and stay prepared. So good, good information there. And there's also a couple of comments you, you can read here. Um, but uh, good, it's always good to read those, you know, real life lesson learned articles. I always uh, appreciate those. So uh, anyway, so that's it um, for um, for this episode and for the week. I can't believe we've already, you know, we have had five episodes. It's been a full week. Um, my allergies have sucked. Man, my throat has been um, scratchy for most of the week, and I've had to hit pause every once in a while and go get a drink and, and drink some hot tea sometimes. But uh, it's definitely been fun and been worth it. I do appreciate those of you that have subscribed and are listening. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I see you on there. I, I really do appreciate it. You can be very instrumental if uh, in spreading the word about this podcast. If you would go to iTunes or you go to Stitcher uh, and, and leave a review. I mean, that always definitely helps out. And uh, so I made it easy for you. There's there's links on the, the homepage of the Prepper Podcast. PrepperWebsitePodcast.com um, to get you to iTunes and Stitcher uh, and, and all those good things. So and also you know feel free to, to send the link out of the website and tell other people about it. Um, so you know I, I definitely want want it to be a blessing to the preparedness community and I know um, all the websites that are allowing me to read their articles. I want it to be a blessing to them as well. So the more people that are are hearing it and are involved, uh, I think it'll be it'll be great. So, uh, hey, don't forget to stop by the website. You know, drop me a line or two. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And so we'll be back next week with other great articles to share. And in the meantime, if you are just needing your preparedness fix, don't forget to go to PrepperWebsite.com and uh, you'll find tons of great articles there. So until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.